Local Radio for Portsmouth. And look at the time, just after 7 o'clock. Thank you for tuning in, as always, here. Welcome to Express This Week. This is Chris Pierce. Thanks for your company. We're here from now until 9 o'clock tonight. Thanks for your company here. Where if you happen to be, of course, Portsmouth to the South Sea Sandwich 93.7 FM on DAB and online, of course, at expressfm.com on the show tonight before 9 o'clock. Lots to get, so lots to talk about tonight. We're going to squeeze it all in <laughs> if we can do it, of course. Uh, on the show tonight, in about 10 minutes or so, we'll be catching up um, with uh, Gosport Councillor, Councillor Graham Burgess. We'll talk about that bus station redevelopment as well, which has been uh, in the pipeline for a while. And uh, also, we're talking about. Um, £2.2 million of funding for that, amongst other things as well. And we're talking Jubilee come the summer. We're going to squeeze that in with Graham. Doesn't know it yet, but we'll tell him uh, in about 10 minutes or so here on the show tonight. Uh, 7.25, hopefully this week, fingers crossed, phone lines permitting, and hopefully she's in the right place this time round. Uh, Julie Spinks will catch up with her World Plumbing Day. Yes, there is such a thing as I said to you last week. Uh, hopefully Julie be with us to explain all about that. Bizarre, isn't it? Uh, 7.25, We'll catch up with Julie then here on the show tonight. And later at 7.45, Ann Taylor is here. Turns back Gosport's uh, Thorngate Church of Trust and the uh, new development there in the town. So we'll catch up with Ann a little bit later about that tonight at a quarter of eight here on the show this evening. Ten past eight, uh, we're talking to Nadia. Now, Nadia's written uh, a cookery book. She can explain all about it, but uh, there's a bit of a story behind it. And uh, we're talking about the road to Karachi, in actual fact. Uh, Nadia here later for a chat about that and uh, to explain all at ten past eight. It might even uh, make it feel a bit peckish, you know, I know. But uh, we'll catch up with Nadia later to say uh, just under, or just over, in fact, uh, an hour of time here on the show tonight. What have we got there? 8.25 tonight. Our profile guest will uh, catch up with Dr. Philip Carter. Now, he's from the uh, Royal Historical Society. Not historical, but historical. Got to get it right, you see. Uh, we'll hear two of his songs as well. We'll find out all. If you like things history, hopefully put you in the right frame of mind for that. Uh, he's our profile guest. Hear two of his songs as well. It's a very random, actually, I have to say, his songs. Once in the 90s, which features Shirley Bassey. Who would have thought? And, uh, yeah, something else well from the 70s. Uh, 1972, no less. Songs as old as me, look. Uh, so we'll catch up with him. He's our profile guest tonight here on the show. Chat to him at 8.25, squeezing all that in, bursting, it seems, before 9 o'clock tonight here at this week's Express This Week. Uh, we're talking uh, a bit of good news, in actual fact. I think we deserve it, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. The last couple of years or so, uh, last few weeks as well. Uh, we're talking about £2.2 million worth of funding in Gosport, a redevelopment of the waterfront there. Uh, we've talked about this for some time, but uh, it's actually happening. I mean, Councillor Graham Burgess can explain all, can't you, Graham? Yes, definitely. <laughs> How are you, right? <laughs> Fresh out of a meeting. No. Okay, we've been given uh, 2.2 million pounds, 1.35 million of which is to, uh, excuse me, 1.25 million, 35, is to demolish the old bus station. Now, people have said that this will never happen, but we've got the government grant to prove it. From the brownfield site, so it's 1.35 million 
to knock down the bus station when we have completed the transport interchange. And, and Are you this, there? Yeah, and that's been happening for some time now, hasn't it? It's, uh, it's, this has been on the cast the last couple of years, Graham. It has, but I mean, as with everything, it takes time. And when you think of the complex uh, nature of the transport interchange to move the bus yeah. station, you've got to a, identify where it's going to go, look at all the plans, main service and everything like that. So that should be approved next month. Then we can sort of start. That will finish early 2023. And then the buses move into the new 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 uh, transport interchange. And then I can get a wrecking ball and start knocking down the bus station. <laughs> Are you going to be behind it, Graham? Definitely. I, I remember when I was chairman and we demolished some old houses in Leon Solent. Yeah. And I was behind the digger and I was told, just touch the side of the house. Well, I touched the side of the house, it went through and came out the other side. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah. God help us here then. <laughs> correct, correct, correct. Yeah, you can enjoy it, I think. But it's been long overdue though, hasn't it? I mean, but in a way, I suppose the bus station's going back to where it started. Well, uh, yes, because I, I can remember... When I first came down to uh, Gosport, yeah. the sort of the mud patch, for want of a better word, <laughs> I think you would call the bus station, was it? I don't remember. No, I don't. Yeah, I've always been. Well, no, that you, one. you weren't born. No. <laughs> it's just some of the oldies like me, but yes, I can remember <laughs> what it was like. And it is moving there. It'll be in front of the Falkland Gardens. Yeah. And with all the requirements that we need in the sense of uh, modern bus shelters bus timetables, electronic timetables, and information systems. It's all part of the deal. Now, we got £5.2 million from the Transforming Cities Funds from the government for that, and we, Gosport, have put it in over £700,000 on top. So it's going to be a £6 million project, and I'm really looking forward to it, because this is the start of the transformation of the waterfront, the high street, and everything else in Gosport. When's it starting then, Graham? When's it all sort of start, the project itself? Right. The the planning uh, application goes before Hampshire County Council because it's roads and one thing or another in April, and that should be no problems whatsoever. And then we can get sort of contractors involved and they can start doing the work required, Chris. Well, fingers crossed then. Um, that's going to be exciting uh, times, I think, for that. Uh, and uh, we look forward to watching that with interest. And also, Graham, while I've got you here, uh, we're talking Jubilee. To who? The, the, the garden, the old, uh, the, the Queen's Jubilee, the Platinum Jubilee. That's happening uh, this summer, isn't it? I and mean, it's our chance to get yes, involved that's in right. that. Yes, um, we have information on our website about uh, if people are looking for road closures. So, for example, if you're uh, a cul-de-sac or a very lowly used road or one thing, that is quite simple. If you want to close off a section of the road that they can get round by other ways, we're looking at this. We want to give as much support to people who want to have, uh, you know, platinum parties, shall we say, in their area with their residents as we can. And the details are on the uh, website, gosport.gov.uk. Brilliant stuff. Graham, you're a busy man. <coughs> Thank you for taking time out and having a chat with us. Good news oh, at last. The hot water. Go on. Hang on a second. One of the other things we got money for 
was to demolish the old Wilmot Lane depot, which yes, was the so old civil service depot that people remember. Yeah. Now, that will mean that we can move all the industrial vehicles out and we can provide housing, much-needed housing, and the residents should feel a lot better where they won't have these big vehicles rumbling past their houses, sort of uh, virtually from 7 in the morning till 7 at night. So that was the other... Uh, Gotcha. Other money in that loan scheme. Yeah, that's that's good news as well. I mean, it's been there for for years. Uh, so, what happens to the actual council depot itself, then, Graham? Well, I'm hoping to move the council depot uh, and one thing or another um, with the contractors are in there to somewhere else, which I can't discuss at the moment. Fine. But everything is going along nicely. Brilliant stuff. It's it's nice to have some positive news for change. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell the residents of Gosport that yes. Don't believe what some other people are saying. Believe what the leader of the council is saying. Fact, not fiction. Thank you very much. <laughs> Graham, always a pleasure. You look after yourself. Take care. Talk soon. Check. Bye, Chris. Take care, mate. Bye-bye. Councillor Graham Burgess, and uh, he's brilliant, and uh, there from uh, Gospel Borough Council. Some of the nice things that are, are happening at uh, the bus station, of course, the redevelopment there, we forgot to mention that, of course, the council depot in the town, just off Anne's Hill Road, in case you want to know where that is. And uh, plans for the Platinum Jubilee celebrations in the town. And as Graham said, if you want to get involved in that, uh, go onto the website, gospel.gov.uk, find out how you can get... Uh, a part of that, part of the action there, and uh, commemorate that. Uh, in uh, we've got, of course, we've got a long bank holiday weekend come June, haven't we? So look forward to that, and uh, all the details there if you want to get involved. Uh, in that, uh, in Gosport, uh, if you go to the website there, gosport.gov.uk. No, lots to get through, lots to talk about here, of course, as we do every Thursday and Sunday night. We do this between 7 and 9 o'clock. Uh, no exception tonight, and we'll talk about, yeah, World Plumbing Day. There is such a thing. And Judy Spinks from Watersafe can tell us all about it. Judy, good evening. How are you? Good evening. I'm great, thank you. Judy, thanks for coming on tonight. Good to talk to you. So what is World Plumbing Day? Tell us, I'm intrigued. Well, World Plumbing Day is a, it's an international uh, celebration of plumbers across the world, in particular, thinking about how access to sanitation across the planet is so important for protecting public health. So we underrate our plumbers uh, in the UK. I think they do a fantastic job of keeping our water nice and safe. See, when you put things like that, it's uh, it's very hard to sort of think about about it in that way, isn't it, really? Yeah, often we just we turn on the tap and we take for granted yeah. that the water flows through. Um, and all sorts of things can happen through it as it goes through that plumbing. If it's not done correctly, you know, you have to use the right materials and you have to stop water going in the wrong direction. And so it's really important that we get plumbers that are trained to do that because things can go uh, horribly wrong. So what's your role within WaterSafe then, Julie, as an organisation, I mean? Yeah, so WaterSafe's an umbrella organisation. What we are is we provide a central register of plumbers who've been vetted uh, to so that they've been uh, taken a specific qualification the water fittings regulation so that's designed uh, to make sure people are trained to keep the water safe um, it's uh, it's effectively a not-for-profit it's backed by all the UK uh, water companies and the drinking water quality regulators so we're vetting people so people know that they're properly qualified before they take them on the register so it's a bit like these um, organizations like checker trade that kind of thing isn't it really I guess yeah, I think the key difference for us is we check the qualifications right. um, and we have a process to audit people as well to make sure that we keep those standards high as well. So quite often the audits are carried out by uh, water company employees who also enforce the regulations. So 
um, they know what they're looking for uh, when they look at plumbing standards. I don't know about you, but um, it's not always you can't always tell whether a plumber's done a good job. Obviously, if it's if it's leaking, you'd know it was problematic, wouldn't you? But other than that, it's harder to tell. Yes, yeah. Uh, so this is where you come in, and it's really to it's a peace of mind, I suppose, is it really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it is absolutely peace of mind. Um, and, there's, you know, it's a big register. There's 6,000 plumbers across uh, the UK, and it's very easy to use in terms of the website. You just pop the type of work you've got in and your postcode, and it'll come up with a list. Um, I mean, we'd, I'd always say, you know, ring up a few plumbers. Um, so there's, uh, we don't do activities around sort of the price, so ask people what it would cost, and, uh, and it's good to shop around, but it's nice to have a choice. Um, when they get a list coming up. And I suppose nowadays, of course, if everything online, or more and more stuff becoming online, uh, it's more important really to, as you say, to shop around and find the best person to do to do the job and make sure they're regulated. Yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a lot of plumbers who are doing work that actually don't have the basic plumbing qualifications. Um, and a lot of people think they can sort of dabble with the plumbing and... and probably don't always know what they're doing and that can lead to all sorts of problems in terms of having to pay much more to get the work done correctly later or got to bed leading to uh, leaks uh, as well which can be terribly uh, damaging uh, and expensive to fix yeah yeah so it's sort of you've got to think about these things isn't it it's very important that we, that we do this uh, and if you want inf- um, further information julie uh, and, and far as what uh, you're doing as an organization how can they do that how can they go about it yeah, if they just want to have a look on our website, it's watersafe.org.uk. Oh, fabulous. It's short and sweet, straight to the point. That's lovely. Uh, and all the information is there, and of course, you know, to look out for those sort of kosher uh, plumbers, I guess, as well, isn't it? Yeah, quite right. Yeah, so these ones have been vetted by the local water company. Well, they're, uh, it's backed by local water companies. And in fact, uh, in Portsmouth Waters area, the water company will do audits. Um, of those plumbers as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's quite interesting that, you know, since doing this survey, I guess, 81% of people are feeling a bit more confident about this. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, no, exactly. So consumers definitely feel more confident if somebody's promoted by their local water company. I guess people do trust uh, the water uh, water companies to produce and treat that water and get it to the, the boundary yeah. of their property. So yeah. that, that's probably not surprising. No, not at all. Judy Speaks, lovely talking to you. Thanks for coming on and tell us about that. Bit of peace of mind as well, and that, which is something, I guess, since COVID, um, it, it brings it more to the forefront, really, doesn't it? Absolutely, and lots of people have got fed up looking at the same four walls and are improving their bathrooms <laughs> and kitchens as well. So yeah. it's a good time to think about a good plumber. Yeah, bless you. Judy, lovely talking to you. Thanks for coming on tonight, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Many thanks. Cheers, Judy. Brilliant. Look after yourself. You. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye. Bye. Judy Spinks there from Watersafe. And as Julie said, you want to find out more about that, the organisation, some tips as well, and uh, obviously to make sure any plumber there is uh, kosher, if you like, yeah, and uh, legit. Um, go on the website, so watersafe.org.uk is the address where you can find all the information you need to know. Uh, we're talking about the uh, another new development uh, in Gosport, in actual fact. We talked about the bus station earlier with Councillor Graham Burgess, but we're talking about another one uh, in the Hardway area of the town, and this time it's for new development. Element uh, as part of the Thorngate Church of Trust, and from there, Anne Taylor joins me on the line now. And good evening to you. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Chris. How are you? Not as bad at all. Battling with dodgy equipment, but I'm all right. <laughs> but we're fine. Uh, Anne, I mean, um, let's put this new development because this is quite exciting, isn't it, for the town? I think. Um, 
It is exciting for the town, and it's especially exciting for the town's older people. So Thorngate uh, Church of Trust um, already operates three sites of uh, social housing. We're a charitable social landlord based in the community. We already operate three sites um, with 24-hour warden support. And this is a new site for us, so we can help meet demand. Um, we've got a very long waiting list, and we can help meet demand for the growth in older people in Gosport. OK. Now, first of all, are you part of the Thorngate Community Association? So uh, is it the same sort of thing? Because people might get a bit uh, confused between the two, yeah. Yes, yes. So um, the Thorngate brothers, um, who were very active in the 1860s and 1870s, set up a very great number of charities in Gosport, uh, some of which um, became Gosport uh, Halls, and um, some became Thorngate Trust, which is a grant-giving organisation, and the property, the housing-based charity parts of the charity, became Thorngate, what was then Thorngate Almshouse Trust, and in 2017 we became Thorngate Church Trust to recognise um, the work that Emmanuel Churcher, who was part of Church's Listers, also did with the Thorngate Brothers around a number of charities in the town. So, no, we're not related to any of the other sort of Thorngate charities in Gosport, uh, but we're all kind of from the same roots and we're all trying to do the very best we can for people of the town. It's a very sort of big jigsaw puzzle, isn't it, really? <laughs> but it all comes together nicely. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and well, we hope so. We, we're all doing our best, I think. Absolutely. And it has been trying the last couple of years. I mean, have you sort of coped uh, before this development which we'll come on to in a second or so um, you know mm-hmm. uh, how did you cope in, in itself must have been quite awkward for uh, you um, well it was it, we also operate residential care home muscle church of court um, and of course right. that, that was that was quite difficult yeah. but in terms of our housing which is which is what I'm here to talk about today um, we did manage to maintain our services so our support staff were continuing to be on site they were continuing to support our residents. We couldn't, unfortunately, do the things which um, some of the some of the really great social things we do to combat loneliness, like our lunch clubs, for example. We couldn't have those kind of uh, activities going on: the lunch clubs, the yoga, the craft clubs, um, that where people meet up and socialise, and some of the entertainment events in, in in our lounges. But we could still ensure that residents were okay because of our support staff who were still working on site. You know, they were doing following government guidance. They were. Uh, wearing all the, the right PPE, but they were still able to maintain contact with residents so we could alleviate loneliness. OK. Now, this new development, which is in the Hardway area of the town, mm. why in that particular part of the of the area of the town, you know, why did you choose Hardway? Um, we'd been looking for about three years for a new set because, as I say, we've got a huge amount of unmet demand for the type of housing mm. and support that we provide. Um, and we looked at a number of sites, and the advantage with this particular one is that it's on the um, the very fast bus route. So, and there is a bus stop right outside. So it's extreme, and it's near shops. So, if you think about the kind of people that um, we support, um, who are older people, many of whom have given up their cars, but mm. still want to, they're still active. They still want to live an independent life. They want to socialise with their friends. Being where it is, uh, fairly near the town centre, with some shops nearby and with the bus stop, uh, means that it's a really great location for us. 
Okay. And for our, and for, and for the people we'll be supporting, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, a nice area of the town as well, with uh, you know the, the waterfront sort of not too far away as well, which the people can enjoy, uh, and uh, particularly when it's nice, the nice weather, of course. Uh, so, how many homes we're talking about here, Anne? Uh, we're talking about thirty-nine homes in two phases, um, and in addition, it'll have. Um, a large communal facility, which we, which as I say, we use for lunch clubs and um, right. entertainment and stuff like that. And it'll have parking, and it will have, importantly, it'll have a mobility scooter store as well, because quite a few residents um, have mobility issues. Okay, and I'm taking it warden support, that kind of thing. Oh yes, yes, warden support. Yes, so continuing to ensure that people have somebody they can call on if they need it, um, and and to just. Give those people who are moving into maybe a slightly different area um, lots of tips and tricks and help uh, help them to meet people and explain to them where where to go and then crucially, um, if people have come out of hospital or if they need any extra help, our wardens um, are really good at helping people claim benefits. They're uh, good at chasing up care packages, that kind of thing, when people might be a bit anxious or they might need a a kind of step up in support for a couple of weeks, maybe when they come out of hospital, then they get back to living their independent life again and and, and maybe they don't need the warden uh, quite so much. Um, So so it's it's very, very flexible. Okay. Uh, And and that's the difficult thing as well, with all the problems we've had with social care lady as well. uh, that's pretty tough, I guess, for organisations such as yourself to try and keep up with um, demand. Uh, social care is really tough at the moment. It, it certainly is. We've had the pandemic, and mm. we've also uh, there is uh, as has been well pub- publicised. Uh, you know, it, it's it's hard to it's hard to recruit the number of staff that we need. So we, but we're still working very hard. We're still delivering a you know as good a yeah. service as we've ever done in our in our residential care home. We're very lucky with our housing team. They're they are extremely stable and stay for you know work, have worked with us for a very long time. Most of those, so we're very lucky uh, with, with those with those wardens, poor yeah. people. Well, fantastic. And this is a great project as well, you know, and ho- hopefully it alleviates some of those, uh, the backlog of people waiting for assisted sort of you know, homes and uh, this has certainly filled that gap. Wait, wait, when's it all starting? Okay, well, on the waiting list, we've got seven, we've got 124 housing units at the moment. We've got 72 people on our waiting list. So we've got a 30, an average of 31 month wow. wait for one of our, one of our flats. That's why we're so desperate to get, yeah. to get building. So we'll be, Doing, we only um, finally acquired the site um, a, a couple of weeks ago, so uh, we now have to do all the things that you have to do with a, with a, a complex site um, to meet the planning conditions. So that that's our first priority, and then we'll be looking to uh, let the contract to uh, a suitable developer, a considerate con- uh, con- contractor, uh, probably in the autumn and. It, It'll building will probably start um, after Christmas next year. Okay, so it gives us a bit of so time. So in twenty twenty three. Yeah, yeah. It'll soon be here. It'll soon be here. <laughs> <laughs> Scary. There's a lot of work. There's an amazing amount of work you have I to bet. do. You know, on ground conditions yeah. and and stuff, drainage and uh, you know all all the stuff. You know, we don't want. Um, 
uh, any flood risk issue. You know, there's all of that kind of yes. stuff that has to go on in the background before you can actually start building, believe it or not. Yeah, uh, Bush is brilliant stuff. And, uh, well, good luck with this new project. It sounds exciting as well and uh, uh, certainly uh, needed in the town as well to plug that gap. And uh, it, it just makes you think, doesn't it, with all the, uh, the, the care issues and what have you, that, um, you know, it's, it's a problem which is not going to go away. It's not, and and if I can just say, we've we've done quite a few developments over the last few years, yeah. and we've got a, an exemplar development in our Lucas Court scheme. So if anybody wants to uh, see what we do, and if you want to come down and have a look at, at what we do sometime, um, either now or indeed when we when we finish building, uh, people people just want to go to our website, which is do you mind me saying our website? You carry on, Anne. yeah, please do. It's it's, um, it's www.thorngate.org.uk. So anybody who's interested in our housing or uh, who thinks that they or maybe their parents would be, uh, it would suit them, if you go to our uh, website, which, as I say, is www.thorngate.org.uk, um, you can, there's a contact form on there. You, could, you can contact us and, and come and have a look around. And indeed, you know, if you fancy to come and have a look around, Chris, you could come and have a look around as well. Lovely, yeah. Well, I'm 50 now, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might, it might be, it might be another, an interesting topic another day as well. Uh, absolutely, yeah, too right. And it's lovely talking to you. Thanks for this. Uh, it's great to Say something positive. Oh, we know, we deserve something positive, Anne. I think <laughs> we really do. Yeah, and, and we aim to really for, for people yeah. to have a really great life, you know, and to be able Absolutely. to be free of, of worry and oh, loneliness yeah. and actually enjoy themselves. And that's the thing, isn't it? Because something like this, you know, we can sort of take that loneliness bit away, can't we? From people, I think, which is quite nice to bring people together. We can, and also um, quite a lot of older people are fearful you know they might be in their own yeah. homes and they've got a lot of maintenance and um they're lonely and you know if you're in one of our flats we take we have our own maintenance team that people people know and all of that is uh, relieved and so then people can enjoy the things they like doing yeah exactly and that's a nice sort of thing nice way to to look at it because people there's still that sort of skepticism isn't there about care homes and, and that kind of scenario because you hear all these horror um, stories, isn't it? It gives the wrong impression. Yeah, well, I think I think for our housing, it's it's definitely not a care home. It's a place where yeah. uh, you can live independently. You, it's your own flat. You live independently. Yeah. If you want to join into the communal activities, the yoga, the lunch clubs, the the end, whatever you can. But if you don't want to, you can you can go out and uh, you could go over to Gun Wharf and go shopping. You can you can do whatever you like. Yeah. So. It, 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 that the housing is, is is not it's completely separate from our care home in that respect, and it's really about giving people um, the support so that they can literally enjoy every moment of life. Yeah, which is nice as well. Uh, and just to recap for our listeners, if they want to find out more about the project and about Thorngate Church and Trust, what's the website address that people can have a look at? It's www thorngate that's t-h-o-r-n-g-a-t-e dot org dot uk just pop that in google we'll, we'll pop up lovely and it's lovely talking to you thanks for coming on tonight we'll be in touch we'll keep in touch always nice to come back to these sorts of stories Anne, and uh, and talk some more at the future time but uh, but for now thanks for coming on tonight appreciate that all right lovely
Thanks very much. Look after Bye-bye. Take care, Anne. Bye Thank now. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Anne Taylor, lovely lady, and uh, talking about the uh, the Thorngate Church of Trust, and uh, you'll find out more about that. As Anne said, put in Thorngate, uh, it'll all come up, and you'll find it, and you can find all the information about that as well. Uh, you find out uh, about the Thorngate Church of Trust. Now let's turn our attention to cookery. We don't have a lot of cookery on the show, you know. We don't do a lot of cookery, but we should, I don't know. Um, but we're talking about a new cookery book, and there's a history behind it too. And uh, Nadia Arab, who's just run out of a uh, fitness session at, uh, <laughs> at Roco, up there at Hillsy, uh, to be with us uh, on the show tonight. <laughs> Nadia, good evening to you. How are you? Good evening. I'm fine, thank you. Good. I'm just, as you said, I have the stashed out. So yes, I'm. I'm, oh, I'm absolutely you. fine. Good, good. Literally chilling out. I am literally. <laughs> After yes. session, a pleasure. Yes. Nadia, look. I mean, this is exciting stuff. I mean, uh, what has the history behind uh, this cookery book that uh, that you sort of conjured up, if you like? Yes. Um, so uh, my parents ran an Indian cookery school in the 1980s in Buckland and Portsmouth. And they then collated all of their recipes, put it into a little book. That book then got sold to the students and even to a local bookshop, and in fact, a major bookshop. But then what had happened was they had lost their copy. And over the years, we just kept looking. We looked for this book. We just couldn't find this book. And um, even when we moved location, we just couldn't find it. And then whilst at work, just having a random conversation with a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, I said to her, we're just talking about curries and food and our passion for it. And then she said to me, I think my father was on an Indian cookery course in Buckland in the 1980s. So then she checked with him and literally the following day she rocked up with the original book. Wow. So that's where it all began, Chris. And then pretty much from there on, I then went into partnership with a friend of mine, Paul, who did the graphics. And... um, Four years later, believe it or not, four years later, we then produced The Road from Karachi. Uh, and uh, what a fabulous story as well. So all that time you're looking for for the book, uh, and lo yep. and behold, from a random conversation <laughs> the next day, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was really surreal. And I said to my parents at the time, I, when I took the book back there, my mum cried. I bet. And she said, this, this was my dream. This is what I always yeah. wanted. And even when I was a child, Chris, I just wanted to do it for her. Yeah. So I thought, you know, if I can find it. And she always said to me, because I found pages of it, but not the actual book. Um, so then eventually when we found the book, we then created it. I put some videos in there as well, some embedded videos. And mm. you also donate towards um, clean water to India, Africa and Pakistan yeah. through my project. So it's, it's, doing a, it's doing a bit of everything, really. And I've got some students involved as well with some of the marketing and etc. So I just wanted to give them a bit of a work experience from the project, yeah. which to me is a massive... Uh, I'm so passionate about other people, helping other people as well. So I combined everything into one and now produced this really beautiful book with this, uh, with the videos and stuff, and um, yeah, it's selling. It's selling well, and I'm getting the donations in for the pumps, which to me is the most important thing: is getting the donations in for the pumps to get them out and get the clean water out. Well, yeah, especially at, uh, at the moment as well. With, I mean, climate change is always there on the agenda, isn't it? Uh, and this is uh, it brings it home a bit, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, and this is a great way in which to, you know, uh, to do something uh, towards that and uh, and all the good causes it brings as well. Uh, I mean, the, the, the actual book itself, I mean, where can we pick up copies of this, Nadia? 
So you can go to directly to my website, theroadfromkarachi.com, or you can go to the Instagram, which is PRFK Cookbook. There's links on there as well. You can yeah. also buy it from Waterstones. It's in Waterstones as well. Pigeon Book in Southsea. And hopefully we're going to get it on Amazon at some point. But the main ones are Waterstones. It's actually in Chichester Waterstones at the moment in the actual shop. And um, it's online, so literally you can order it. In a couple of days' time, it will be delivered. Oh, wow. Brilliant stuff. Now, I mean, how long has this sort of now been in, in the works, you know, putting it all together? How long did it take? Did it take it the four years? Yeah, it did. So basically, yeah. the thing with me, Chris, is I have a full-time job yeah. as a teacher, and then I work as a fitness instructor wow. in the evening. So my so, life is really yeah. full on, and then I somehow managed to write this book in between doing all of that and um, other things as well, obviously family and stuff. So yeah, that's a lot of juggling. Yeah, a lot of yeah, juggling absolutely. going on there. But imagine, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, and this is great for, for for the kids, isn't it, to get involved with the students, to, to get involved in something like this. Absolutely, that's what I wanted. So I wanted them to see, you know, you can become something because I actually grew up in Buckland I'm a Buckland girl and I I wanted to show the kids that you can actually go ahead and do amazing things and you can be well I, I just wanted to inspire them really Chris and get yeah. them out there and doing stuff so that's why I got some of them involved in the project yeah um to me as as you can tell it's all about other people and getting them involved and getting the project well it's here now yeah so it's just a matter of fact of just um just people just helping donating Getting the pumps. We've also got a school involved in in uh, Kenya. We Lovely. are donating to a school in Kenya now, so we've got some water taps running to them, and the pipes will have the road from Karachi on it as well. So, which I will show customers on the website. So yeah. it's, it's expanding, which to me it's, it's been a dream to be yeah. there to get a school in Africa as well. And, from, um, but Nadia, all from a random conversation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just for a Weird, conversation. Isn't it? Spooky. And, yeah. Yeah, I definitely believe it was the universe that did it. Definitely. Yeah. It all happened for a reason. They say that, um, fate. Yes. It, it, it's supposed absolutely. to happen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So where yeah. do you go from here? I mean, what's next? Um, yeah, it's, what's next? Oh, good, good question. So I'm hoping <laughs> to open the Indian Cookery School back up at some point. Um, so I'll call it the road from Karachi Indian Cookery School. You've got to. And um, I think from there on, it's just, this, for me, it's getting the pumps. I want to fill my map with water pumps around the, the globe. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go and help people in yeah. need. So, you know, I just want people to be involved. Who knows, there might be a second edition, um, but I think at the moment it's just uh, getting those books out, getting them sold. And also, I'll, I will do one-to-one classes, go to people's homes. Um, I've actually been offered to do a hen night, do a road from Karachi um, night. Yeah, restaurants, yeah. yeah, restaurants have asked me to come to theirs and do a road from Karachi evening. So, Nadia, uh, I think you might have to give up the teaching, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, point, I, yeah. I can see it because this is going to take off. <laughs> You're not going to have time. <laughs> oh God, yeah. But it's, it's, I mean, it's been a journey, Chris. Yeah, but it's paying off and it's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And when when I saw it, when my mum saw it in mm. physical form, it was so surreal. And now seeing it on the shelf in Waterstones, it's even more surreal. And it's like literally four years of solid work. And yeah. I missed out on four summers. I didn't have a summer holiday. Bless sat you. there in the middle of the night writing it, doing interviewing my parents, researching about Buckland and Portsmouth and, and just the whole thing. And India and Pakistan, the spices, how to blend the spices. I actually learned a hell of a lot from my mum doing this because yeah. I've learned the techniques 
And as my dad says, he goes, it, it's really good that you've actually, you know, you've learned it now. And he's always wanted me to be the cook and doing stuff like that. So it's kind of, it's happened. It's happened now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, are they proud of you? I take it, mum and dad? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we had a great, we went to the Spinnaker Tower and had a book launch at the top of the Spinnaker Tower. And um, it was fantastic. It was, again, it was just so amazing to see it all come to life and see it all happen. And the college helped as well in terms of um, dances and getting involved. And it was ju- it's just been totally amazing. The whole whole thing has been, I'm just blown away by it at the moment. You sound it, actually, and you sound very passionate about what you've done. I mean, I, and again, as we keep saying, you know, from a random conversation, here you are, a book, uh, and then there's other things attached to it, you know, um, cookery yeah. road shows, if you like, and things like that. Who knows where it's going to yeah. lead to? I mean, do you fancy doing something like Bake Off? Yeah, well, eventually, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? The I world mean, is your oyster. <laughs> well, this is it. I mean, I've done this as an independent. Yeah. I'm an independent published. I've done it on my own. I've literally, yeah. even when I was getting the ISBN, I literally, Chris, I went, um, it dips sky blue, it <laughs> is not blue. That's how I bought my ISBN and literally posted it on the actual book website and Waterstones took it straight away. Wow. Which was amazing. Yeah. So yeah. it's been a massive learning curve for me and I've given that back to the students. And I've learned a hell of a lot as well in terms of like yeah. how to how to run this now and how to and obviously giving back as as you can tell. Yeah, too right. Yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's a win win, isn't it? Really, I think uh, you know, and uh, long may it continue as well. What's a favourite recipe from your book? Just to give us a, just to whet our appetite. Yeah. yeah, I do get asked this quite a lot actually. It's got to be chicken dal frozy. Is Definitely. it really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, most people like dal, um, the chickpea. Um, Chippy yeah. curry is very popular and the pakoras, but for me it has to be the chicken jalfrezi. Yeah. Um, in in the book, it's a combination of mum's recipes and my recipes in there, so it's a combination of both. And um, it, it's got the it's got QR codes in there as well, which um, customers can scan, go to the YouTube, watch demos, and um, yeah, so it's interactive as well. And the nice thing is also, this is, you know, proper, we're talking proper Indian, Pakistani cuisine here. We're not talking the British version, are we? No, <laughs> I think, yeah, no. Proper you know, authentic. the old curry powder is not quite the same. This is the real McCoy we're talking about here. This is, yeah, this is the real deal, yeah. So it, it, it's, it's the genuine, authentic yeah. stuff. And um, it was a journey, Chris. I mean, even with my mum, my poor mum, she's now 70, I had... Um, I had uh, boards up in the kitchen. Yeah. I had like I felt like, <laughs> but poor mum, she did so much because all the pictures in the book is her cooking, literally, wow. it's her cooking. And Paul Parsons, he took photos and he he worked so hard. He, he really did. And Claire Perry, she did some proofreading as well. She's a proofreader and editor, and it was just it, it was a team effort. And it was yeah, it was I could write a book about writing the book. <laughs> you could do, couldn't you? Fly on the wall yourself. <laughs> yeah, I did. <could>. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Nadia, yeah. I mean, look, great success with this. This is brilliant. Uh, and, and I just can't get me around from a random conversation. Here you are with a glowing website, a great book as well, and all the other things that you're going to be doing. Uh, I think you're going to be busy for a while yet, Nadia, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, it looks that way. Yeah. It was all awesome, Chris. I absolutely love it. And um, yeah. yeah, I just hope the listeners are like you know you guys just uh, you can have a look and um, donate i think that's the main thing we've got yeah. the road from karate facebook page if you go on there you, you'll see the link to the donations um and um yeah we've actually linked up with a local um 
company called Cybridge, they're, they're doing some donations as well for this school in Africa, um, setting up some IT equipment there. So it's it, it's been nice because I've, I've been able to collaborate with local businesses yeah. and, um, yeah, just getting it all out there now. So, yeah, it's, it, yeah it's all good. Brilliant stuff. Nadia, good luck with this. Uh, I'd be nice to come back to you in future weeks, perhaps on the show, and to, just to see how you're doing. It's always nice to come back to these sorts of stories and just see how it is. But, I mean, again, yeah, I love that. just to recap... Uh, if people want to get hold of the book, uh, they can on, mm-hmm. jump on the website, which is? Yep, theroadfromkarachi.com. Okay. Uh, or they can go to Waterstones, isn't it, online? Yep, Waterstones online, yep, order it via there. Um, or if you know me personally, just come and find me and get one off me. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. That's absolutely fine, yeah. And it's only £19.87 as well, which is good. It was quite a bargain, Yeah, actually. the reason... Yeah. Why it's that price, by the way, Chris, is 1987 is when my parents published their book. Ah, right. I didn't spot that. Look at that. Fantastic. Oh, I love it. Absolutely. It makes it more special, doesn't it? That's brilliant. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's why we did it. And I wanted to tie yeah. in, obviously, them because they are the ones that, you know, bought it here from Karachi, the road from yeah. Karachi. And now it's just um, filtering through or getting people to now cook and send me the photos, email me on the road from Karachi and send me photos because I can just put it on Instagram and on the Facebook page and show what we're doing, the donations and the school now. So, um, yeah, it's all it's all great stuff. Fantastic. Nadia, it's lovely to haunt you. I, I know it's great. You're so passionate about what you do. So, love to mum and dad uh, and good luck with this as Thank well. You. And uh, you look after yourself. Keep up the good work and uh, we'll come back to you future weeks on the show if we may. But for now, thanks for coming yeah. on, Nadia. Lovely talking to you, darling. No, you take care. Thank you. All right, bye sweetheart. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Nadia Arab there. And, uh, and all about the road from Karachi. And if you want to find out how you can get a copy of that book, as she said there, uh, go onto the website. It's probably the best way of doing that. Theroadfromkarachi.com. Uh, if you do a Google search, up it pops and you find all the information there, of course, and how you can donate uh, to uh, helping those uh, water pumps there for uh, for the, the stricken areas, uh, which is all, all the details there on the website as well. 8.25, profile guests on the way soon. Sam, we're overrunning, so let's get cracking on. And our profile guest this week... Academic Director from the Royal Historical Society, Dr. Philip Picata, is our profile guest tonight on the show. He's with me now. Philip, good evening to you. How are you, Ide? I'm very well, thank you, Chris. Good evening to you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Great to have you on as our profile guest tonight. And uh, you've chosen two great songs, which are completely different ends of the spectrum, <laughs> which is what we like. So we'll, we'll share those in moments uh, on the show tonight. But uh, thanks for coming on and telling us about the, uh, the Royal Historical Society. I mean, just give us a bit of a brief background of what the actual organisation does. OK, well, it's a, it's a learned society. Um, it's a Royal Society, and it was founded in 1868. And it's really today a membership organization for historians, and that means people who work in universities, uh, people who work in museums, other areas like that, and just also people who are interested in history and their past. And it's a membership organization for those people. We've got about 5,500 members, and they are both within the UK and overseas. And we provide uh, support for them. Uh, we're very keen on supporting young people moving into historical work and doing research, and we support that. So it's the largest um, membership group for historians doing academic research in the UK, and we have similar partners across uh, the rest of the world that we talk to, and that's really our purpose. We, we're based in London, and we uh, are here to support and promote 
the understanding of the past in all its uh, different glories. Yeah, absolutely, because history, obviously, you know, is something which we want to obviously keep hold of uh, and always uh, look back on, on fondness, I guess, really. Um, that, I mean, there are people, uh, Philip, that would perhaps say, well, that's happened, that's been and gone, we, we should be looking forward to the future, but that's not really the case, is it? You can have both, and, um, you know, there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with uh, being in the present and looking looking ahead. But I, I think when people say that, and it's a, it's a question that a lot of people raise, quite rightly, and I think sometimes they're thinking about their school days when they did history, which is a particular kind of history. Uh, it's not always for everyone. But if you think about yourself as an individual, we all have our own histories. We have our past, we have our memories, we have things that we remember, things that we uh, commemorate, anniversaries and so on, and things we forget. And they're very important to us, those, those histories, those individuals and families. And history, as studied at university and uh, by many of our members, is, is really just looking at a similar process, but looking at it in the context of a community or a city or a nation. And those values that are important for individuals are equally important for wider society. Um, it doesn't mean that people agree on what that path is. and that People have very different views of what's important to remember. But I think it is important to, to know that in the same way that you or I or all of your listeners have a path that they're very keen on and it's important to them. And I think our duty is really to think and learn about the past so that we can be a better society. And I think that's a, a, one of the aims yeah. of, um, of our work. I mean, history is uh, is fascinating now. I mean, it's, well, thanks to TV shows now, I mean, history side of things has really sort of taken off, hasn't it, the last sort of 10 years or so? Absolutely. I mean, in a strange way, you're right, a lot of people do say it's all in the past, why should you bother, it was boring. Yeah. But if you look at TV, if you look at books, if you look at programmes like Who Do You Think You Are, there's more history now in the last 10 years than I can remember. And, and you know, there's a great, a, a huge amount of innovation and, and creativity about telling people. So we've moved a long way from fact and learning by rote and kings and queens. History is just much more engaging now. And, yeah. um, and I think, I think the, you know, the thing about um, ancestry and genealogy and find my past and, and who do you think you are is, is a good example of that because we're learning about the past, but we're learning it through individual stories. Yeah, uh, and we're finding more like you mentioned. Who do you think you are? Because we've got long lost family, those sorts of, of uh, programs as well, where people are just intrigued to f- to find out where they where they come from. <laughs> and there's always yeah. a story to tell, isn't it? There is, and you know, and it doesn't have to be a particularly revelatory story. It doesn't have to be that you've discovered somebody famous. I think there's a great people take a great deal of comfort in knowing where they come from, what part of the country they might not know that they were associated with, the stories that those people um, told, the lives that they went through, often the, the, the upheavals they went through, certainly in the 19th, 20th century and so on. So it, it, I, I think it helps give us a context. It gives individuals a, a grounding, and people like that, especially now. You know, we're, there's so much about the present and there's so much about the future, and our, and our attention spans are increasingly short with the Internet and... And, and all the other devices we have. But just having a sense of our place uh, through history, history is one of the things that can give us that. And I think that's important and people value that. Yeah. So where do you fall into an organisation such as like Q, the National Archives and things like that? Where do you sort of fit into that big, bigger picture? Well, it's a very good question. We're, we're very close friends with uh, the National Archives. We work with a lot of their staff. Um, they are 
custodians of documents and records. So they, they are the place you go if you want to uh, look at a particular record, just as record societies and libraries across the country do that um, as well. Um, and we work with them to their collection. We encourage people to use their collections. And likewise, they will encourage people to go to their reading rooms and their records to come and join the society because, in a way, our society is, is a group of people who are interested in the documentary record. And there are other organizations, um, historical association, which looks after schools, that we work with very closely. So there's a, a, there's a big group of these, um, of these interests organizations that sit outside universities and schools that are promoting the work of history um, across the country. Okay, so it's really, when you sort of dig down deeper, that, that there's a lot going on, isn't there? There's all these different organisations that, uh, that that can help if people are interested in that kind of thing. Absolutely, and and often the best place to start is, is in your local area. Yeah. So um, the Historical Association, which I mentioned, which looks after schools, also does a lot of very good work um, in, in cities across the UK. Um, so, yeah, there's, a, there's an awful lot of, of, of work going on. There's an awful lot of community history, public history, local history groups doing things about neighbourhoods or working with archives. So it's mm-hmm. actually a very good time to get involved. If you're interested in the past, there's probably something very close to you that you can get involved in um, and take part in. Yeah. and learn about, the, about your locality in particular. And do you think perhaps, you know, because of lockdown, we've had two years of lockdown, basically, ever with, with the coronavirus and, and what have you. Has that inspired people, do you think, now to, to do more, you know, find out about uh, the, the historical links and, and find out about history around them? Do you think that's helped? I think so. I mean, I think like like you and I and everyone, we, we, we learned about our local area. We had nothing to do for a long time except go for walks. Uh, so we went, we walked around places, we saw things, um, we wondered what that building was that we'd never thought about when we passed it or, or why some, you know, street was named in a certain way. And those raised questions. And I think, I think, you know, one of the common things about liking history is you're just curious, you're interested in people and people's stories. Okay, they're people in the past, but they're the same kind of questions that, that you know, we ask every day about, you know, our, our, our society. So, yeah, I think they do. And, and the other big thing, of course, is the internet and the availability of sources. So in the old days, you had to go to a record office and look something up to find out about your relatives. There's so much information out there now that you can, you can stay at home and you can discover a great deal about you know, your own past or the, the area of you know, your, your region or your, your, your village or whatever. So I think it's just got easier and easier to do the work from, from your kitchen table. And, that, and that's really good. And I guess that's helped really, isn't it, organisations such as yourself? Absolutely. I mean, we've seen a growth in membership um, and interest. We get, you know, lots of people inquiring, um, you know, wanting to find out how to do research and, and, and be put in touch with other people. So I think it is a really, it's a growing area. And I, th- I, think, I think you're quite right. The lockdown has made us pause and think. Um, it's also made us think about, mm. uh, you know, recent history. We've thought about the NHS, which has its own history, the post-war era. We've thought about how societies exist and how they should exist. And that makes you think about how things were in the past, and it makes you think historically. Yes, yeah. And always, the, it's more the local history. I think that uh, it, I quite like it, you know, what's happening around us locally, that sort of thing. Uh, and that seems to be getting popular too, doesn't it? Very much so. And, and what's really interesting is that we, we work a lot with academics and people that work in yeah. universities. And you might imagine that they're above all that, and they're sort of not interested in local history. That's far from the case, and there's been a real movement in the last 10 years for people that work in universities to get involved in 
community projects, local history projects. The, the sort of the professors that you you remember are from you know from when you were at college and when, you know when you were growing up and you imagine these kind of dusty figures, they're actually you know that that image has gone that that role has gone. They're really interested in getting involved in local community projects, working with archives, working with groups um, because they appreciate the value that they mm-hmm. bring. And and there's a lot of talk in in historical circles and in our organisation about knowledge exchange, and that, that's a kind of new idea, which is that everyone's got something to tell somebody else. You know, the local history group can tell the professor, the professor can tell the local history group, and actually together they're stronger, because I think we need that that kind of connection to make uh, history thrive. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, well, we're going to pause there, we're going to take a break, we're a bit of a breather, then we're going to play your first uh, choice of music, and we'll find out why you've chosen that once we've played it, so we'll come back to you, Philip, so stay there uh, and, uh, and be with us. Philip Carter is our profile guest uh, tonight for the Royal, Royal Historical Society, but, I mean, the RHS is um, it's a charitable trust, is that right? Yeah, it's a charity, um, and, uh, uh, you know, obviously we work as, as other charities, so we, our, our, our income comes from membership, it comes from donations, um, and we exist to support the profession like other charities. You know, we have the same remit as those, and just our interest and our focus is on promoting historical knowledge and, and uh, historical activity. Wow. Uh, I mean, this is the thing, because you, you provide grants and support to future historians as well, don't you? That's a very, very important part of our work, yes. So, um, you know, as you, as you know, there are a lot of people interested in history, a lot of yeah. people doing history at university, but there aren't as many jobs for historians to go into in higher education. So it's often quite a precarious time when someone's done a PhD. They might need some support. They might need time to do some research. It takes a long time to write a book. It takes a long time to research mm-hmm. that book and write an article. So, yeah, we give, some, we give money out to, um, particularly to people at the start of their careers to help them and we also give a lot of advice so you know you can you can be interested in history and not be a professor you can go into a museum you can go into heritage you can go into uh, archives many many other professions broadcasting we were talking earlier about who do you think you are you know a lot of those people are yeah. trained historians so giving advice to young people is very important for us yeah what's the most popular history at the moment is it sort of you know family tree that kind of thing I think that's hugely popular, certainly. Um, I mean, I think, in, you know, generally, that's the thing that people are interested mm-hmm. in. It's what is their origin, what is their past. Um, and it shows no sign of relenting. I mean, it's been going wow. for the last 10 years for all those programs. And, you know, we still love to watch those those shows and discover, you know, celebrities finding out about their past. Um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, celebrities finding out revelations about their, their, their great-great-grandfather or whatever. It, you know, we, we all enjoy doing that. And then, of course, there are, you know, there are the old favourites uh, that never seem to uh, lose appeal. You know, the 20th century, the great dictators, the Nazi Germany, um, you know, many, many programmes on those subjects, the Tudors and so on. So there are, there are popular staples. But what's really interesting is that people are moving well away from that and looking at, uh, you know, many other subjects. Uh, so broadening our understanding mm. of the past. I mean, I guess all the different histories, as you mentioned there, I guess they all sort of go round in circles a little bit, don't they? They do. They do. I mean, there is a lot of debate. You know, people will talk and talk and talk and write and research about the same subject. Uh, We are never finished with a particular subject. There's always a new interpretation. There's new information. And that's that's, we were saying uh, earlier on, you know, everyone's got their own personal history and... 
it's just the same for societies and nations. You know, people will talk and debate and reminisce and remember and misremember and contradict one, one another and argue with one another. And that's what academic historians are doing. Um, and then, of course, politicians do it too. They take on, or, or people in society take on histories and they use them, you know, to promote a particular cause and so on. So it's a very, it's a very powerful subject. It's very emotive. It gets people... Uh, it creates loyalties, it creates animosities. So it's, um, it's something that is, is always alive um, and far from that image of being dead and dusty. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Um, I, I'm amazed that the, you know, the, the, the histories, as we said, sort of like they all always change as well. I mean, it's just that's just how people, are, I guess, um, you know, uh, one minute the Tudors and what have you are in favour, but now it's all family history type things. And I guess, you know, a few years further down the line, it'd be something else. Absolutely, yeah. And I've seen, you know, over the time I've been doing it, there are subjects that have emerged that I wouldn't have ever thought people would be interested in and, and new fashions emerge, you know, yeah. history of social history is the really big development in the last 30 or 40 years. Mm. So, you know, traditionally it used to be politics, kings and queens, the traditional image. Now if you've got to, you know, study at school, you're often doing social history, history of medicine, history of right. the family. You know, you're, you're, you're approaching the past in a very, very different way. And, and that, that's right. It reflects the interests of today's society. People are interested in these things, and therefore they look back and study the past. Yeah, yeah. And it's what we come back to, the point where we raised at the start of this, of course. If people want to find out more about the Royal Historical Society uh, and some of the work that you do, how can people do that? Well, the easiest way, Chris, is to go to our website, which is royalhistoc.org, or just type in Royal Historical Society into into the internet and we've got a website and it, it covers all the things we talked about today the grants the how to become a member anyone can become a member of the society uh if you're interested in history you can join and we'll provide you with information and networks and and we put on events and so on so there's there's lots of of activity that we do we also provide fellowship for uh people who are professors you know we, we kind of award them a fellowship to, to mark their contribution um, but it is open to anyone. So it's, it's worth having a look on the website, uh, come along to some of our events, which are in person. They're also online. Um, and there's lots to do. And, um, you know, we're hoping to evolve the society too. As, as more people get interested in history, we, we too are evolving how we run the organisation. I guess it's, it's trying to keep up with differing trends, isn't it, as time sort of moves on? Absolutely, yeah. And, and you know, the things that were important to people... 50 years ago are less important for, for yeah. most historians today. So, yeah, it, history evolves, and, and we choose to study in the past what interests us today. Yeah, yeah, that's what I put it. Dr. Philip Carter, thanks for coming on. I do appreciate that, and uh, taking time out and being with us tonight. It's fascinating, uh, all this anyway, and it's great to hear uh, what the Royal Historical Society actually do as well, which is nice, and supports people, which is good as well. Do it all again for you next week from 7 to 9 o'clock, and we've got more history uh, with the Portsmouth the History Group. We're hearing from William Donaldson amongst our guests next week, uh, plus more of the week's news and views too. Uh, we're back here, same time, same place, next week from 7 to 9 o'clock. Hope you'll be there with us, and whatever you're doing, Stay safe, have a fabulous seven days, look after yourselves and take care. Enjoy the sunshine, night night. On FM 
and DAB Digital Radio. Online and on your smart speaker. Play Express FM. Local radio for Portsmouth. This is Express FM. 